Thanks for listening to the Sub 25 podcast. Sub 25 is a ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church for 18 to 25 year olds. Tune in as we learn how to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was in 10th grade, I had a, a really hard conversation with my dad. Wasn't quite 16 and we were driving home and we pulled into the garage. I, I had been arguing with him. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was upset. I'd been struggling with some things in my life and after arguing, I, I, I broke down. I remember telling my dad how I felt. I was mad, I was frustrated, I was overwhelmed, I was disappointed. I even told him I felt worthless. I, I, I was broken, I was defeated, I, w- I was in a valley. And th- there have been, unfortunately, many times in my life, too many to count, where I found myself, even somebody that believed in Jesus, somebody that read the word, somebody that went to church, I found myself in a valley. The Christian journey is more than just the mountaintop. I'm I'm grateful for those mountaintop moments. I'm grateful for those moments where, where we feel close to the Lord, where we experience his presence in a special way. But the Christian journey is not on top of the mountain. The, the Christian journey goes through hills and it goes through valleys. And I've spent my fair share in those, and I believe you probably have as well. Right now, many of us are in valleys, maybe a valley of pain, maybe a valley of a a heartbreak, a valley of frustration, a valley of fear, a valley of temptation, a valley of depression, a valley of confusion, a a valley of defeat. I I don't know where you are. Some of us, we we look pretty good on the outside, but deep inside, there's some things going on in our heart that nobody knows about. Christians throughout the ages have gone through many valleys, and some of these Christians are prominent people, such as Martin Luther, one of the key leaders in the Protestant Reformation. He struggled with doubts. You can read about this, and his doubts at times would would cause him to, to think particular ways, and he, he had to fight against that. It was a valley. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers over the past few hundred years, struggled with depression. Prominent pastor Mark Driscoll, who I once looked up to, had some major struggles with pride and admittedly has, has uh, struggled with that for years. Pastor Matt Chandler, many of you have probably heard him, listened to some of his, ma- uh, his messages. He's a pastor in Texas. Had a brain tumor several years back. Pastor J.D. Greer, who's actually the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, pastors a church in North Carolina, struggled with his, uh, his salvation, assurance of salvation for many years. Pastor Kevin, the, the lead pastor of this church here, uh, his dad left him when he was young, left his mom. When he got married, his first wife, shortly after them being married, she passed away. Valley. One of the most popular women missionaries of all time, Lottie Moon, struggled at times with discouragement and evil and even singleness on the field. These are, these are some prominent people, and we could spend hours talking about prominent Christian leaders, men, women, who have spent time in the valley. And some of us are in the valley right now, and, and, and some people know what we're going through. Some people know what we're going through. And I'm glad they know what we're going through because they can pray for us and they can walk with us. But some of us are in a valley tonight and nobody knows about it. And you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to hide behind a rock because you can see the enemy out there, but you're scared, you're nervous. 
But I want us to know tonight that we can find victory in the valley. We can find victory in the valley. The term David and Goliath is not an uncommon term, even among, even among secular people, people who have nothing to do with church, things that you see on TV. In fact, sportscasters often will refer to different sporting events as a David and Goliath moment. I was looking some articles online, and some that I found, it said, what's your favorite David versus Goliath matchup in sports? Or another one, it said, when David beat Goliath, the biggest upsets in sports history. Or how about this one? Championship game resembles David versus Goliath matchup. So, so our culture, if you were to say David and Goliath, instantly they know what you're talking about. But let me ask the question, is that all there is to this story of David and Goliath? Is it just the small guy fights the big guy and the small guy finds the courage to, to find a way to win? Because that's how it, how it works in, in sports. Is this story just a story about an underdog having courage and boldness to fight a champion? Because this is how our world understands and applies this story. This kind of understanding is motivating for the sorry city kickball team when they go up against the, the opponent that they're trying to beat and they're undefeated. Or Joe Neckbone, who's trying to win American Idol and he's from the backwoods. Again, this story, it means so much more than just the small guy trying to win against the big guy. But what about the person that's in the valley of depression? They feel like they can't pick up their sword in the valley and bite and not bite the enemy, although that might work. Fight the enemy. What about that person? The person they don't feel like they can fight. What about the person that's in a valley of confusion? They want to fight, but nothing is making sense. They can't even find where their sword is at. What about the person who's in the valley of pain and they are just hurt because there's been so much attack on them? The person in the valley of defeat. They are just going through each day feeling defeated because they've tried to fight over and over again and they continue to lose. They continue to lose. What about that person? Does this story offer any hope for that person? And I believe that it does. And so if you're in a valley tonight, I want you to know that there's hope. Now you may find yourself tonight and you may think, man, I'm good. And I'm glad for that. Because those that are in a valley need you. And so as I'm going through this message and as we're looking at passages, it would be easy for your mind to wander. But I want to encourage you that you would pray for somebody that's in a valley tonight. And you may not know anybody, but what you could do in the next few moments is simply pray. Because I can guarantee you that there are people in this room that are going through some tough things. I believe God's word shows us two big ideas in our story for tonight. So first, the story of David and Goliath, it offers a picture of the true victor, a picture of the true victor. Um, I brought some pictures with me. These are logos, um, and, and I want to show you some of these logos. So these logos have some hidden images in them, but they're not really hidden. They're, they're there in plain sight. And some of you, these are not going to be new. Um, but let's pull up some of these. I think we got FedEx. Does anybody know where the hidden symbol is? You see it? Which way is it pointing? And it's pointing that way. So if you see between the E and the X, there is an arrow that's pointing to the right. Is anybody, that's the first time you've ever noticed that? Anybody? Okay, good. All right. So, so now you will always see the arrow. You can't not see it anymore. You can't not see it anymore. 
Um, let's go to the next one. We got some Tostitos. So how many of you like Tostitos, some chips and salsa? You may have never noticed, but we've got a party going on in the middle of the word. We've got some, we've got a, it's a monster chip the size of somebody's head that's going down inside of a tiny little bowl of salsa. Tostitos. Let's see what else we got. All right, this is a good one. So Hershey Kisses. See something in between the K and the I? If you turn your head like this, there's a Hershey Kiss. There's a Hershey Kiss there. You're always going to see the Hershey Kiss now. I, 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 don't know if we, I don't know if we have another one here. I don't know if anybody likes Baskin Robbins. There's 31 flavors in Bas- that they have. There's, it's, it's right there. It's in plain sight. A part of the B and a part of the R. So, hey, let's just pause right here. Did anybody learn anything tonight? You saw some logo? Okay, good, 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 good. Well, hey, let me teach you this. Let me show you this. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, God's word is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And, and there are hidden images that are actually in plain sight but we have to have the eyes to see them. In the same way that these logos, there were some hidden images, understand that there are images, there are pictures in the Old Testament where God is saying, I am pointing you to Jesus. And so again, I'll say that this story of David and Goliath, it offers us a picture of the true victor. And so if we don't understand this picture, you see, the story of David and Goliath is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate hero, the ultimate victor. I don't know if you caught the last part of the Jesus storybook Bible story, but it said that, hey, David was a hero, but one day God would send another young hero who would defeat the greatest battle that has ever been fought. And so understand that David and Goliath points us to this story. So let's just look at a few parallels that we see here and let's understand how David points us to Goliath, or not to Goliath, again, to Jesus. So number one, they were both shepherds. Look at this. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. 28. Uh, David, he shows up on the scene. Uh, He's been sent by his dad to check in on his brothers. And he says this, uh, in verse 28, now Eliab, his older, oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Again, David is a shepherd. He watches sheep. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. David was a shepherd. There was nothing glorious about his job. It was monotonous. He spent a lot of time away from people and around animals. So he had a lot of time to himself, a lot of time with the Lord. But understand this, God was preparing David for something. He was molding him. And we'll even see how what God did in the pasture, how that led on the battlefield, how God prepared him. Understand, Jesus also claimed to be the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we understand that that this is what David's life was all about. Physically, he had to make sure the sheep stayed alive, and so he fought battles against lions and bears. And this was a part of his life. 
A shepherd protects the sheep. A shepherd does for the sheep what the sheep can't do for themselves. When a predator comes to attack the sheep, the shepherd fights. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am going to fight for you. And this is what we see in David's life. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, David looks at King Saul and he says, let no man's heart fail of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. What David is saying to Saul, all the Israelites are around. David says, I will fight for them. They need somebody to fight for them. I'm used to fighting for people. It's just animals that I normally fight for. But this time, I'm going to fight for people. And this is what we see David does. Now, because of our sin and brokenness, we need somebody to fight for us. We need somebody that's going to fight for us. Uh, because of my brokenness, because of my struggles, because of your brokenness and your struggles, we need somebody that can win the battle for us. We need a shepherd and we have it in Jesus Christ. Jesus is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. See that God is using David to point us to the good shepherd. Uh, let's look at another parallel between David and Christ. They were both unassuming kings. And let me just say, we could talk about a, a lot of different, a lot of different um, uh, parallels, but these are just a few that I picked out. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, the, a chapter before this story, we see that David was anointed as king. King Saul was, a, was not following God's law. He was not following God as God would have him. And so God anoints David as a king. 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David was the youngest of eight brothers. Samuel shows up to Jesse's house, says, hey, uh, let me see your sons. He brings seven sons before Samuel. The only son he doesn't bring before Samuel is David because he's watching the sheep. And, it, and with each of these guys, God tells Samuel, it's not the one, it's not the one, it's not the one. Samuel says to Jesse, hey, do you have any more sons? Well, there is this one son, the youngest. He's out watching the sheep. Samuel says, well, bring him. That's the guy. That's the guy. He's probably 10 to 15 years old. And God says, I want that one. Doesn't make sense to us. Why would you choose a little guy a 10 to 15 year old to be king. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, according to 1 Samuel 16, 7. And when God sent Jesus to the earth, he did not send him to be born of a king and a queen. He, he did not send him to be born among riches. It was not a prestigious birth. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. Anybody want to guess where David was from? Bethlehem. Do you see how God is putting things in plain sight and he is pointing us to Christ? Jesus was an, a, was an unassuming king. He was the earthly son of a carpenter. However, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, we see that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, God's son. And we see that this anointing moment takes place and, and Jesus is filled with the spirit. And after that, there were 40 days and we see that Jesus, Jesus defeats or resists perfectly uh, an enemy that nobody has ever resisted perfectly. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, we see in 1 Samuel 16, 
we see that um, David is anointed king. The Holy Spirit comes on him in 1 Samuel chapter 17. There are 40 days that go by. 40 days that go by. Goliath is taunting the Israelites. And then David shows up to defeat the enemy. So we see that both Jesus and David were unassuming kings. Three, they're both champions. They're both champions. So we see that that anointing moment takes place in Jesus's life. He perfectly resists Satan. We see that David is anointed the king, uh, even though he doesn't step on the throne until 15 or 20 years later. But he defeats Goliath, a champion that nobody else had ever conquered before. But we also know that Jesus not just... He didn't just resist Satan in Luke chapter 4. He, he didn't just resist him perfectly, but we see that after three years, he actually goes to the cross and he dies a death that I deserve. He dies a death that you deserve. But because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquers death and sin. And, and we can one day declare with Paul, O death, where's your sting? O Hades, where's your victory? 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 through 57 says this. And this is Paul writing, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, we're, we are flesh and blood, we are, we are in bodies, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your body is going to stay on this earth, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Talking about death. He's saying we're not all going to die. Either Jesus is going to come back or we are going to die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's talking to believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Talking about when Jesus comes back. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible, talking about you and I, we live in a body of flesh and it's broken and it's hurt. And this is why we find ourselves in valleys. It says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Victory is only possible because of what Jesus has done. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory can only come when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before you experience an earthly victory, you have to experience an eternal victory. But before you face a giant on this earth, you have to have an eternal victory. If you want to have victory in the mundane things of life, if you want to have a victory at your work, a victory at your school, a victory in your relationships, a victory in your family, a victory in this life, you have to have an eternal victory. That's where it starts. In the story of David and Goliath, 
We see that God offers us a picture of the true victor. And let me just say this. If God is powerful enough to create the universe, if he's kind enough to offer us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, if he's strong enough to defeat death and sin on our behalf, if he's loving enough to allow us into his family, if he's compassionate enough to one day bring us home to be with him for all eternity, is he not strong enough to handle whatever valley you're in right now? If he can handle you going from death to life, if he can conquer sin and death, if Jesus, because of his death on the cross, has made a way for you to be in a right relationship with the creator of the universe, can he not handle whatever valley you're in right now? See, if... Christ has won an eternal victory for you. Let him also win earthly victories for you. So let me quickly give you a few things that we can do if we want to experience earthly victories. Because if I had to guess the things that are going on in in our lives right now, those valley moments, those are are earthly things. A a heart that's hurting, a mind that's confused, a a body that, that, that has been through a lot, because of what people have said about you, because of what people have done about you. Maybe there are relationships that are broken. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but if I had to guess, all of us that are in valleys, it's probably, it's probably an earthly valley. And so what can we do to experience victory? See, the story of David and Goliath, it not only offers a picture of the true victor, but it offers a pattern for victorious Christian living. But we have to see the image of Christ if we want to experience that victorious Christian living, if we want to experience those victories. So several characteristics existed in David's life that led to victory. And let's look at these quickly. Number one, or letter A, we see that David revered, he respected the glory and greatness of the Lord. So you and I should revere and glory the greatness of the Lord. First Samuel 17, 26, David says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We see that David ha- had this extreme glory for God. He cared about God's name. He respected God. He knew how great God was. We see that David's heart for God is all over the Psalms. He's continually praising God's name. He was all about God's glory and greatness. God's greatness impacted how David perceived issues. So when David walked into the valley and he sees an issue, yes, it looks bad, but he also understands that God is so much greater than what's before him. God's glory is greater. God's greatness is greater. And so David, he he revered God's glory, but not only did he do that, but he reflected on the Lord's goodness. He reflected on the Lord's goodness. His eyes were set on what God had done for him in the past. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 and 37. David says this to Saul. He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear 
He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David looked to the past to find encouragement for the present. David looked to what God had done continually in his life. You and I should be able to look and see what God has done for us. Can you look back and see that God has won a victory for you through Jesus Christ? When did that take place for you? Have you you turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And now you know that you have a home in heaven. You have a God that loves you and cares for you and is going to walk with you. Because if you understand that, it'll change how you look at any other giant. It'll change how you look at any other valley in your life. Again, David looked at the past to find encouragement in the present. Not only this, but we see letter C. David rested in the Lord's guard. The Lord was his guardian. The Lord was his protector. This is how David lived his life. David wasn't leaning into his own strength. He was leaning into the strength of the Lord. He wasn't leaning to his own protection. He was leaning into the protection of the Lord. And because of what Christ has done in our life, we can do the same. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David says this to to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, in the name of the Lord of hosts. Proverbs 18, 10, Solomon, David's son, says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And David, he comes in the name of the Lord, which we just read was safety and strength. So it wasn't David trying to protect himself. He was leaning on the Lord's God. He was resting in that. And then letter D, David slung the stone in faith. Sure, he was skilled at that, but his faith was in the Lord. His faith was that God would lead that. And we have to release the stone in faith, believing the Lord will guide it. 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, David says to Goliath, the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. David didn't fight in his own strength. He fought in the strength of the Lord fought in the strength of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Tonight, what I wanted to do is I wanted to help us understand that before we can find victory in any valley that we're in right now, we have to be sure of the victory that Christ has won for us. Apart from that, we will not have victory. It starts with victory through Jesus Christ, going from, from death to life. But I, I know that many of you, you you've, put, you've gone from death to life. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but right now you're in a valley. And I just want to ask that if everybody would, just bow your heads. We're going to close out. My mind's been scattered a lot this week. It's honestly been a little bit of a challenging week for me. Some of you may have had a challenging week as well. How many of you would be honest and say, you know what, I I feel like I'm in a valley right now. If you would just slip up your hand, nobody's going to come to you. I'm not going to tap on your shoulder. Hands all over the place. Uh, I want to end this way. The band's going to play slowly behind us. If you just raise your hand, I'm not going to force you to do this. But if you're willing, I would love for you to stand up because I want to send some people around you and we want to pray over you. And so right now, if you raised your hand and you feel like you're in a valley, I would ask that you stand up. Because in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to sing some songs and we're going to do what the church does. We're going to pray for one another. And so right now, if you're in a valley, I would just ask that you stand up. Again, you may be, you may be a leader in the room, 
You may be uh, brand new. You may be somebody that comes all the time. I appreciate your honesty. Um, what I want us to do is, again, with, with heads bowed, and again, you may have to kind of open your eyes, but maybe just look and see if there's somebody near you and stand up and maybe lay a hand on them or, or maybe you just stand near them. Again, maybe you're going to have to get up, find somebody. And we're just going to pray. We're going to pray. So right now I ask that you begin praying. Whoever you're standing near, you may not even know their name. You may not know what they're going through, but that's okay. Because you don't have to, because the Lord does. But what we want to do is we want to pray some folks out of the valley.